Good evening, patriots. You are tuned into Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today we'll cover being ready to win and going on the offensive. All next on Living with Liberty. One question I think we have to ask ourselves and answer honestly is, are we as conservatives ready to win? Follow-up to that is, do we even want to win? As I look at things, I wonder if we are not learning our lessons fast enough when it comes to organizing and moving forward with one voice and purpose. Now, one thing that has me wondering this is the outright resistance at times to anyone that is deemed establishment. Now, don't get me wrong. I, like most of you, am tired of these establishment politicians. I'm tired of the Mitt Romneys and the Liz Cheneys and people, you know, the Chuck Schumers on the other side and the Nancy Pelosi's. I'm, I'm, I'm fed up with the establishment on both sides. But that doesn't mean that everybody is establishment. Anybody and everybody that's in government is not necessarily establishment. And the one thing that's got me thinking about this is one of our local conservative clubs here is backing the so-called non-establishment candidate for governor in our 2022 gubernatorial race. And they're backing him over the presumptive favorite. And I say presumptive at that, this point because they have not officially announced that they are running. Um, so right now we have a Democrat governor. So it's we'd be looking at a Republican primary. And the presumptive favorite, while she has hinted to uh, running, has not come right out and said yet in the affirmative. So that's why I say presumptive favorite. And really, this presumptive favorite is establish is a, is an establishment candidate in the view of the, the this conservative club. Now, the presumptive candidate here on the Republican side had previously served as our lieutenant governor, and as I look at platforms and accomplishments. The presumptive candidate, quite honestly, has the much better platform and, in my opinion, is likely to be a shoe-in for the GOP nomination in our state. I've heard of a few others that might throw their hat in the ring. Honestly, they're what you would call establishment as well. They've been in government at times, might even, and I think even still are uh, in some cases, the names being thrown about here. But compared to our presumptive candidate, let's call it there. They honestly, in my opinion, wouldn't have any shot either at the, the GOP nomination. And, you know, to, to kind of add on and tack on to this here and, and in the grand scheme of thinking about how things are, where uh, in Wisconsin, we're trying to get rid of a radical leftist governor here. I personally think that if we have a strong candidate uh, and, and one that's as strong and as accomplished as who we're presuming the GOP nominee to be in our state, I think that all others should back down, especially, like I said, in light of 
having a singular purpose of trying to get rid of a leftist, a radical leftist governor. Now, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, anybody should be not denied the right to run or denied running if they want to run. Uh, you know, I think, fine, go for it. But uh, sometimes there's times where you have to bite the bullet, strategize, and look and see what is who's got the best chance who's got the biggest name recognition, who's got the best buzz about them. And sometimes you've got to back away from your own ambitions and back one candidate. And I think in these times, you've got to do that and try and avoid a damaging primary, if at all possible. And I think you've got to show that the party is unified and ready to move forward, that there's an actual strategy that we've aligned behind this and we're going to move forward. As I said, we have a radical leftist governor in Wisconsin that needs to be unseated. The less time and resources spent screwing around with primaries and debates and everything else that goes into a primary and all the mudslinging and everything else that throws doubt further down the line, no matter who comes out of that primary, the, the less time spent messing around with primaries, and the more time you can spend uh, dedicated to defeating our leftist governor, and this goes for any seat, any state, anywhere, if you've got someone that's super strong, that is in every right, in every circle, going to win it, why mess around? Let's just get on with it, align behind the strategy, and move forward, play as a team. Now, back to this club, however, they are fervently against any candidate that they deem as establishment. The ideology within this club is that everything has to be grassroots. We have to start over. All establishment politicians currently holding office need to be voted out. And basically, in essence, in so many words, I guess you could say it's, it's an attitude of let's burn it down and start over. I jokingly said that maybe the presumptive nominee here for our gubernatorial seat should just change their last name to Trump because that seems like that will be the only way to satisfy the non-establishment requirement that this club is putting out there that they're looking for, that the people making up this club are looking for. It's a very short-sighted way to think, though. And the problem with this line of thinking is it is the same ideological thought process, not the same ideology, the same ideological thought process as cancel culture. It is seeking something that is ideologically perfect and pure, and eventually it will eat itself like cancel culture is doing. It's this type of mindset that will result in never having a candidate that ever measures up to the standards. Just like we see with cancel culture today, as it rages on, more and more rules are put in place, and more and more people end up violating those rules at some point in their life. The whole thing ends up eating itself. The same thing will happen here with this type of, of uh, non-establishment kind of pure ideology that they're looking for. The minute that elected official votes out of line with the ideology, 
the calls and work begins to unseat them no matter what their previous track record is. No matter what they've done up to that point, there was that one little thing that they did, and now the calls and the hate emails and whatever else goes with someone being upset with a politician, they they start working against them and start to unseat them, start breaking up the team. They've uh, decided we're not on the team anymore. We're going to go do our own thing. That's part of the problem with that we've had as conservatives. We don't stick together. And that's what happens here with this type of ideology. One little thing and all of a sudden the, the, the calls to recall and whatever else start, you know, start coming. There's a key thing we need to remember here. And what needs to be remembered is that we, the people, need to be active participants in our government. If you really think about it, it honestly doesn't matter if the politician that is elected is so-called establishment, non-establishment, conservative, or liberal. If you as the voter aren't holding the elected official to account, if you as the voter aren't contacting them, making your expectations known, your policy positions known, and making them uh, or making your voice heard, it's not going to matter if the elected official is establishment or not. It's not going to matter if they're conservative or liberal. They're going to do what they want to do anyway. And inevitably, when it comes back to it, the voters will just blame them on being too establishment versus the real issue at root here of the people not taking that active role in the management of their own government. These are people that work for us. We need to remember that. We are their managers. If we're not going to at least make an effort to hold them to account, to make our voices heard and our policy positions known, then we forfeit all right to complain about it when they vote out of line with our expectations. How do they know what to expect if you don't tell them? And that's the hole here in this whole ideology with this local conservative club. They want non-establishment everybody and grassroots. And how many of them are taking up the charge and holding their elected officials accountable? I don't know, but it certainly is a hole in the ideology here. Now, if we're going to win... Conservatives need to learn that being on the same team sometimes requires doing hard things like swallowing our pride, putting individuality aside for a little while, and putting aside philosophical differences in order to get behind the best candidate with the best shot at winning. That will mean that you may not agree with them 100% on every policy or issue that's in their platform. And honestly, if we agree with a candidate 100% on everything all the time, they might not be the right candidate. I have a saying for when I am negotiating solutions at work with other departments or other stakeholders, even you know other customers outside the company. And I say this, I say, if anyone walks away from a problem-solving session 100% happy, then the solution put in place probably wasn't the right one for the business. 
you what I find is you have a case of not all ideas were put out there on the table. Not all points of view were considered. Maybe there was a bully in the room that everybody just capitulates to. No, in in that case, if they're 100% happy and nobody else is, it's probably not the right solution. The right solution oftentimes requires compromise and discussion and differing viewpoints. And if you have somebody that's walked away 100% happy from, in this instance, a problem-solving session, there are likely some holes in that solution and unintended consequences that will need to be cleaned up later. Things because, you know, maybe there was some capitulation, we just gave somebody their way, didn't throw everything out on the table, and we're blind to these unintended consequences that we have a cleanup on aisle seven with later. Now, the same thought process and example can be applied to our elected officials. If we agree 100% with them and we agree 100% all the time, then they maybe aren't the right candidate. There may be points of view they aren't considering and that in turn we aren't considering because we're not discussing other viewpoints. We're not taking other things into account. We have blind spots and biases that we aren't treating. And this uh, thought process can lead to these unintended consequences because perspectives were narrow and not all points of view were accounted for. Take a look at any Democrat city today and the narrow-mindedness and the lack of consideration of other points of view when implementing policy. It just has created a gigantic mess out of our big cities in this country and a lot of great cities. That's what happens when you agree mindlessly 100% of the time with somebody. Now, if you agree 100% with a candidate and you've checked against biases to make sure that you are being sufficiently open-minded and you're doing the comparisons and the research and everything that goes along with being an informed voter, I mean, that's great then. They may actually be that rare, perfect candidate. And I'm not saying that it won't ever happen, that we will completely agree 100% of the time with some candidates or elected officials platform. I'm saying that this probably should be a rare exception and not the norm. Points of friction are what rub off those rough edges on all of us and our society and make things better in the long run because we're grinding down those rough jagged edges. We're making something smooth. It's true of our interpersonal relationships, and it's true of our elected officials' positions on issues. They may have a position and that they have more information than we do on. We might just have some blurb or just some idea, and they actually have a little bit deeper knowledge of it. And, and that deeper knowledge causes them to vote uh, in a direction that we didn't want them to vote. That's okay. That should be okay. It shouldn't, like I said, we shouldn't necessarily agree 100% of the time with our elected officials. And we have to remember that sometimes there are uh, bigger things at work that we didn't see. 
that maybe there's information, like I said, our elected officials are privy to that we may not be, or they've checked into that we haven't. So we may need to check things out first before deeming some of our elected officials as just another establishment shill. Sometimes those points of friction serve to broaden our own horizons and get us thinking outside the box. If we are serious about winning, it's those other perspectives that will make us sharpen our positions. They make us sharpen our knowledge. They broaden our horizons and give us a more well-rounded view on society and better round out our own policy positions. Conservatives need to learn how to play with an end goal in mind and need to learn how to play together as a team to reach that end goal if we are truly serious about winning. The left has played the long game, infiltrating every major institution within our country, while conservatives were busy just wanting to be left alone. I get it. You know, we're busy working. We're busy doing family things. We're busy uh, doing you know, enjoying life, basically, right? Enjoying our liberty. I get it. We just want to be left alone to live our lives. That's not what, that, that's not the world we live in, though. That's not the country we live in anymore. We need to be more active. We need to learn from whatever sources are available and then apply the learnings from those sources to what we are doing as conservatives and how we're strategizing and going about uh, trying to win more to the conservative movement. Individuality is a great thing the vast majority of the time. Like I said, I love it. I love my individual liberty. I love my individual ability or my ability to have individual thoughts and opinions that differ from it. It keeps life interesting. And it's great to have a big tent at times. There's a lot of different viewpoints and a lot of ways to go about getting things done. However, we as conservatives need to learn when to change tactics. We need to learn when it's time to circle the wagons and work together as a team to move the cause forward. We need to learn that there is a time to put individuality aside come to a consensus, and move forward as one unit. If we are going to create a counter to the counter-revolution that is currently underway, we are going to have to learn and apply tactics from unlikely sources, sources we may not have considered before, or sources we may have considered taboo because of optics. I present to you one of those sources is Vladimir Lenin. Yes, we can learn and must learn from Lenin if we are going to win. From a purely st tactical standpoint, there is much we can learn and implement from how Lenin took over Russia that doesn't involve going down the path to communism. Don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying, yeah, let's learn from Lenin all the way to, to implementing communism. We, we've got enough problems on our hands with the Democrats trying to do that right now. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we need to look at the tactics. We need to learn 
from those, those actions that Lenin took and how he came to power in Russia. And we need to take those tactics and apply them to what we're trying to do in taking back our country, in restoring the freedom and liberty of all American citizens. We have to stop thinking that standing on principle and taking the high road means that we can't learn from or apply tactics from the likes of Alinsky and Lenin. The left has been using the tactics of these two and many others for years. And they've been kicking our collective arses with them for years. And it's gotten to the point that they've taken over and own the megaphones of society and are able to turn out their ideological foot soldiers like Henry Ford turned out Model T's. All because... We wanted to be left alone and maybe considered that the tactics of, of an Alinsky or a Lenin were too taboo for us conservatives to use because we'll take the high road. I'm not, again, ignore their ideology. Look at how they accomplished it. That's what we need to do. If conservatives want to win, it's going to require different thinking, different tools, and a different mindset. It's going to require that instead of just letting the left continue to throw mud at us, conservatives not doing anything, not picking up and throwing it back, it's going to be an even longer road for us. It's going to require us to stand up and start throwing that mud back at at the liberal left. Now, I have an interesting article here from the Epic Times on how we can use the learnings from Lenin to to stage the counter-revolution to the one that is currently in process. The article is titled, To Stage the Counter-Counter-Revolution, The GOP Must Learn from Lenin by Michael Walsh. The first point made by Walsh, and it's one I've made before, is that conservatives need to go on the offensive. Too often, we are sitting back, placating so we get left alone, only to wake up one day to things being radically different. We need to get better at teaming up, putting aside our differences, crafting a plan, and then executing that plan as one unit, as a team. The GOP thinks too small at times, not pushing to enact changes that would be politically painful to roll back. The left does that all the time. They think big and they enact changes and policies that are politically painful to try and roll back. Case in point, Obamacare. Illegal as it may or may not be, It's still up in the air, depending who you talk to. The GOP didn't have the guts, though, to totally roll it back. That's the difference. They didn't want to do the tough thing, the politically painful thing. So they placated us conservatives by getting rid of the individual mandate. The GOP resisted Trump so much that much of his big-ticket agenda he had to accomplish through executive order, which are easy and less politically painful to roll back. 
conservatives need to stop playing defense and get on offense. Now, we are seeing some signs of it. Ron DeSantis in Florida has been leading the charge, signing bills against critical race theory, sending uh, help to Texas to patrol the border, signing bills that allow people to bring suits against big tech for their censorship. Texas is another state that is kind of whatever you think of Abbott. I, they're an, another one that's kind of leading the charge here. They are working on a plan to finish the border wall. They are taking the lead and doing something. There seems to be a changing of the mindset in the conservative politicians that have been getting elected. They do seem more offensively minded, which is what is needed. Gone are the days where you, these these conservative politicians can just sit back and just placate us. Those days are over. Conservatives need to be more anticipatory to what the left is going to do and get ahead of it. This is the first lesson from Lenin. Do not react. Get on the offensive. Now, Michael Walsh had this to say in his piece. He says this. Lenin knew that his Marxist revolution could not be left to the petite bourgeois Democrats of the populist left in Russia. He had to grab the country by the ears while the grabbing was good. Now, what's this mean? It means that Lenin knew that if he was going to take Russia over with his ideology, what he wanted to do and implement as leader, I guess you could call him, of that country, he had to be on the offensive. He had to be the one pushing. This is where conservatives are. There is a shifting of the political winds. The mainstream media does all they can to try and tamp it down and poo-poo it and, and make it go away, but it's not going away. You can see it out there everywhere you go. Because of that, there is an opening for conservatives to swoop in and stage a counter to the Democrats' counter-revolution here. The counter to the counter-revolution. But it means working as a team. It means we need to be working on electing more Josh Hawley's, Ted, Cruz and, uh, Ted Cruz's, and Lauren Boebert's. It means that... Yes, while we have to primary the Murkowskis and the Romneys and the Cheneys of the world, if they should happen to survive that, that uh, primary, we have to get behind them. They still stand somewhat on conservative principles as much as we don't like it. And then we go to work on the next time around. We find the better candidate. But it means we have to work as a team. It means, yes, our tent's big, but we have to circle the wagons if we're going to save our country. And sometimes, like I said, it means you have to do the hard thing, swallow the pride and, 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 and uh, move forward, get behind someone that you might only agree with 60% and get behind them. And, and then, but then again, it's up to you to uh, us as voters to push them on the other 40%. We don't agree with them on it. All this is, uh, you know, also means that we are going to have to get more active. We're going to have to become activists and contact our elected officials regularly and prod them to action. 
it's not this counter counter revolution is not going to happen by waiting for the likes of Liz Cheney, Kevin McCarthy, or Mittens Romney to do something on their own accord. They're perfectly comfortable sitting back, fat and happy in their elected position, doing just enough to get by to, to the, and get elected in the next, the next time they have to run. We can't sit by and wait for them to do what we want them to do. We have to act. We have to be in contact with them. We have to make our voices heard. All these establishment, let's call them, politicians will need to be heard by you and I. I throw myself in there by all of us. They need to hear what our positions and policy ideas are. They need to hear our expectations for how we want them to vote on any bills heading to the floor of the Senate or the House. Remember, they work for you. And that goes for, the if you're a conservative, that goes for contacting the Democrat officials as well. If they don't hear from you, yeah, they're probably not going to vote the way, uh, the way you want them to. Some of that is because not enough of us are contacting them. We don't make it politically painful for them. The most important thing to a politician, left or right, is their constituents' votes. If they get enough people threatening to vote against them in the next election because they didn't get on board with what's going on, and in the case of conservatives, going on the offensive and fighting for us as our representatives, they will either change their tune then if they get enough blowback from people, from the constituency, or they'll face getting voted out of office. These are all egotistical, power-hungry narcissists, honestly, a, a good chunk of them. You start threatening their power and threatening to vote them out of office, there'll be some turnarounds. I, you know, I've, I've seen it happen. Conservatives must also block out the rhetoric of the Paul Ryans, who obviously just want to sit back and play defense. Uh, Paul Ryan was my rep for years. I, I'm honestly kind of embarrassed by his rhetoric and, and obvious uh, kowtowing to the, the globalist elites here. Uh, we got to block that out. He has no bearing and is not on the train, obviously. People like him, they need to get on or they're getting left behind at the station. This this is a movement to take our country back, and if they don't realize it, too bad for them. And that kind of takes me to my next point here. Walsh makes the point in his piece that maybe it is time to shrink the tent. It's time to freeze out the voices like, Paul Ryan or Mitt Romney or Liz Cheney. He notes in this piece that Lenin enacted his revolution with only a handful of followers. There was not broad support among Russians for a revolution, yet it happened anyway. Now, if you look at the current state of America, there definitely is not broad support for socialism or fascism or whatever it is the Democrats are pushing these days, yet we are marching down that path. Why is that? 
because conservatives would rather play defense than offense. They'd rather placate rather than fight against the policies and ideas that run counter to principle in hopes that placating will be enough. They don't want to get their hands dirty. They don't, they're uh, hypersensitive to the optics. But I'll tell you what, who cares? If you're standing on principle, you stand up to the, to, to the, the, the ridiculous rhetoric of the left and all this garbage. The optics are, are going to be great. It, it, it's the not standing up. It's the shrinking back. It's the bowing to the nonsense that's going to get them in trouble. And that's what these establishment, the, the super establishment, let's call them, uh, politicians don't understand. The other thing they un don't understand is that placating this sort of behavior is never enough. It only emboldens and empowers those placated to grab more power and, and whatever, money. It, it only emboldens them to grab more. Neville Chamberlain thought he could placate Hitler. What did that get him? His constant placating uh, got him, as a reward, the Nazis on the doorstep of England. That's what placating gets you. It gets you emboldened, uh, an emboldened opponent that just keeps coming after you more, knowing that you're not going to do anything but give in to their whim at the first, uh, the first hint of being bullied. Think about this for a second. Think about only playing defense. What does that get you? It gets you nowhere because you have to play offense to score points and you need points to win. Now think about how many times for all you sports fans out there, how many times have you seen a sports team, your favorite team, another team with what seems to be a safe lead near the end of the game, but they end up losing because they stopped attacking and went into a full out defensive mode, which just let the other team come back to win. Getting on the offensive gets momentum behind you. Staying on the offensive keeps momentum with you. It keeps the other side on their heels reacting to what you are doing. It makes it so they are unable to implement their strategy, their policies, their game plan, because they have to keep trying to counter what you are doing just to keep up. Lenin understood this. He understood you didn't need a big tent, you didn't need a big following, you didn't need the majority opinion. You just needed to see the opportunity, go on the offensive, and take advantage of it. Now, the difference I see here between Leninist Russia and America present day is that as conservatives, as Americans, really, we have the majority. There are a number of people left and right, and I say left, not extreme left, but, you know, the, the center left, the moderates. There's plenty of those type of people out there who are interested in preserving our country the way it was founded and intended to function. We are the majority here. 
there is broad support for that. The issue here, another issue I should say, is that we are still too silent of a majority. It's still a majority that would rather continue to placate and then try and win at the ballot box. That didn't work out too well in 2020, did it? We weren't on the offensive. Trump tried to get us on the offensive. We still sat back, played defense, placated, tried to win at the ballot box, and then we were had at the ballot box. That is being on the defensive. There's no room for that anymore if conservatives are serious about winning. If conservatives are serious about preserving our country, our liberty, our freedom, there's no room for constantly just being a placating defender. If we are serious about returning our country to its founding roots, to those principles of freedom, equality, and liberty for all, then we must make waves. Silence can no longer be an option. Just figuring we'll take care of it at the ballot box is no longer an option. The placating must cease. When has the left been silent and placated conservatives? Half past never, that's when. It's time to win. If the left wants to play zero-sum political games, let's give them what they want. It's time to win. If we do not stand up now and use our majority that we have, silent and otherwise, then the trial period we've had of socialist, fascist, leftist rule becomes permanent. We are a team. We need to come to a consensus on our plan. That might mean shrinking the tent, and that's going to have to be okay. Those people that are left outside the tent can get on board or they can go do their own thing. Remember, we have the majority, and Lenin shrunk his tent to just a handful of people didn't have a majority and still implemented uh, his his vision of a, a communist society in Russia anyway. We need to come to a consensus. Those that don't want to come to a consensus are left out of the tent then, I guess. We need to implement that plan we come up with. And we need to move forward with that plan as one cohesive team. If we do that, if we can put aside our pride, our individuality for just a little bit, and all gather together as a unit, we will win. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for listening. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you will find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with the knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, check out my store and get yourself some gear. Living with Liberty Outfitters. Now, through Thursday, June 24th, you can take 15% off of all your in-store purchases. And lastly, I'd be so grateful if you subscribed to my show and left a positive review should your listening platform allow. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. 
I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family, as well as on your social media accounts. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. Follow me on Parlor and Gab. My handle on both is at livingwithliberty. You can also go to the contact page of my website and email me or follow the links there to my social media pages. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.